0: Hello Degenerates, it is episode 5 of 4Stats Podcast. I am your host Brandon, and this week we'll be debating what team's championship window may be closing. There's one particular running back that's a must start in Daily Fantasy this week. Of course we'll give you our Daily Fantasy lineups for week 7, and I'll give you my against the spread pick for this week to see if we can ride the winning streak to 4 straight wins against the spread. My co-host Chase is here this week, albeit missing a piece of his tongue, but say hello to the world how you doing everybody back for another week with four stats Uh,
1: i I am missing part of my tongue played in a rec league uh parents versus coaching game this weekend i see why i'm retired from sports i probably won't play again for another
0: 365 days (laughs) well i'm glad you survived and this is the four stats podcast we are a sports podcast that talks sports sports gambling and fantasy football each podcast we give you four unique stats Some are meant to be informative, some are meant to blow your mind, even controversial, and others are just conversation starters. Usually I let Chase lead us in with a little bit of overview of this past weekend. We want to leave enough time to talk about our main topic, so I'll do a quick edition of our first thoughts of what happened in week six. I am angry with the NFL. We learned a couple years ago that you had to complete a catch all the way via the Calvin Johnson rule. Last year, the Cowboys were absolutely robbed of a playoff victory because Des Bryant fought for more yards and suddenly it's an incomplete catch when the ball comes out despite the extra football move being made. Now we're told by officials that Golden Tate caught the ball inside the one, became a runner, crossed the goal line, the ball popped out almost immediately after the catch, but that's a touchdown. If this was on the 50-yard line, that's never a completed catch given the defender doesn't catch it. But because it's across the goal line it's a catch, I don't understand it. You don't understand it. The NFL coaches don't understand it. It's just a lot of ridiculousness. I'm angry about this rule that is changing the outcomes of games when common sense should prevail. Calvin's catch was a touchdown. Dez's catch was a catch and down by contact. Golden State's touchdown catch was an interception. I don't know how you put that into the rules, but the NFL needs to get it done.
1: I'm really not sure what a catch is anymore in the NFL. Um, there are too many things going on far as the referees being involved. I really think that they need to boil this down to common sense. Golden Tate's catch was not a catch. Of course, Dez's catch was, and so was Calvin Johnson's. But Golden Tate has been getting away with this since he's been in the league. He had to play in Seattle that caused us to get rid of the replacement refs. And then this week, he squeezed out his team's first win thanks to that catch. So Golden Tate might be someone's golden luck charm, I guess.
0: Well, I, I still want to scold the NFL for that, but I also need a second to beg and to plead with the NFL on an entirely different issue. NFL, stop putting the NFC East on prime time. I don't care how big the fan base is. You're not doing the sport any good by putting on a bad product during prime time each and every week. It's the worst division in football. There's no good defense. There's rarely any good offense. We've been forced to watch the NFC te- an NFC East team on either Thursday night, Sunday night, or Monday night football in five of the first six weeks. Enough of is enough. Because of this, I am absolutely refusing to mention an NFC East team the rest of this broadcast.
1: I can understand you there. Uh, Monday night football was pretty hard to stomach. That was a very ugly game. You would have thought that they were playing in the middle of a hurricane or something. The way that game was, it was very choppy, a lot of turnovers, and one team still got blown out. So I really don't know how the NFC East is surviving, but I hope you're prepared because they're on main... They're on primetime TV also this week. I think it's a primetime game. Uh, I believe it's Sunday night. I think the Panthers in Philadelphia play. Uh, So I guess you're going to be cutting your TV off and maybe
0: Netflix. Uh, I'll be happy to watch the Panthers. It definitely has me fired up, but I think that leads us into the last big news of the weekend. The Panthers have one of uh, the six unbeaten teams going into the weekend. They actually survive uh, as Cam Newton led his team to a compact victory in Seattle. Uh, The Falcons did fall to the Saints, the only unbeaten to go down. The Patriots, Bengals, and Packers all easily handed their business, and it took overtime for the Broncos to beat the Browns, which actually leads us into the main topic for this episode. We want Cam Newton for MVP. That's all I have to say about that. I actually wanted to do that this week for our main thing, but maybe it will be a good discussion for next week. We kind of want to see a little more of the season before we start talking to MVPs of the league. But for this week... We want to talk about teams that have been successful as late, but the championship window may be closing. Uh, Maybe this season is their last hope for the Super Bowl banner. The very first team that I imagine comes to mind for most people is probably the Denver Broncos. Is the window for the Broncos closing on winning their first Super Bowl since 1998?
1: Is Peyton Manning's arm a noodle? I think so. I really think the Broncos window is closing. Uh, Peyton Manning opened the door, opened the window. Let in the breeze, gave them a chance. Uh, with Peyton Manning uh, going away and uh, approaching retirement, so do the Denver Broncos. Uh, right now, Peyton Manning is probably having one of his worst seasons of his career, other than the season that he sat out. He only has seven touchdown passes, and currently, right now, his quarterback rating is 72.5. I just don't think that he'll be able to continue to play at a high level. Uh, He is, in my opinion, one of the greatest of all time, and his accuracy is still there. But Peyton Manning is starting to throw interceptions that commonly he doesn't throw. And, of, of course, they've built a team around him. He has a solid defense. He also has solid skill players around him. But championships are always won by star quarterbacks or quarterbacks that are evolving into a star. And it's very difficult to find someone of a Peyton Manning level or even a championship quarterback level. It's just a very rare breed. Peyton Manning got there in 2012, and since he's been there, they've made the playoffs every year and have in some situations, most people in Vegas believe they were the favorite to win the Super Bowl once he's got there. Um, I know he has he has people around him that can help him win that Super Bowl, far as Demarius Thomas, and now they have Emmanuel Sanders, but he has a very patchwork offensive line. And if you just think about the Denver history, Before Peyton Manning got there, their best record five prior years before that was eight and eight. They only went to the playoffs one time, and that was the Tebow year off of the Miracle Play. Um, We all know that. I don't want to say it was luck, but we wouldn't bet on that to happen again. And also, you have to think, in they have an aging Von Miller, which is basically the heart of the defense. And then if you start thinking about the young players that they have, Roby, he's he's a stud in um, secondary, but they're going to have to pay him. Also, Brandon Marshall, he's also a solid linebacker. They're going to have to pay them. And in this world of free agency, we all know that when a team does well or they're successful in the NFL, then they, players want to get paid. They want their money. The NFL is what have you done for me lately, league. It's not, you know, you don't get paid on your past. So the moment that any of those players can get a chance to cash in, they're going to leave Denver, no matter what the situation is. Nowadays, players aren't choosing to win over money. They're choosing money over winning.
0: And I don't blame the players for that. And I, yes, the Roby may want to get paid. And yes, Brandon Marshall absolutely does deserves to get paid. The question isn't, is Manning's career in jeopardy after this season? The question, in my opinion, is entirely different from ours. It, is the Broncos' chance of winning a Super Bowl closing? Uh, this team is way more than Manning. You want to talk about... This is his worst season that he's had. The team is still 5-0. and This is a defensive team, and I would argue it's one of the best trios of corners in the league with Tal- Talib, Chris Harris, and Roby. I'd argue it's one of the pass, uh, best pass-rushing duos in the league with Von Miller and DeMarcus Ware. They absolutely have a playmaker with uh, Brandon Marshall at linebacker. It's as star-studded as any defense can be, and it's the type of defense that got Trent Dilfer a ring, so why does Manning have to be in the discussion? If you want to talk compare Manning to Dilfer, there's really no comparison there. I believe this is a Denver team that, yeah, Peyton Manning was the face of it. Yeah, he did bring their first winning season. And I'm not sure how long, but a quite a bit of time. But this this team's identity has now changed. It's about defense. And let's talk about defense. Right now, it's an offensively driven league. Defenses can no longer dominate, right? Or that's what we're told to believe. Yet the, the Denver Broncos are allowing just 4.3 yards to play this year. That's the best number since the 2008 Steelers. And it's actually the same amount of yards the Ravens allowed in 2003 Super Bowl team, a team that's often described as the most one of the most dominating defenses ever. But it's a pass-friendly league, right? Well, the Broncos numbers still suggest otherwise. They have 23 sacks a season. Let's put that in perspective. The rest of the league average is 12 sacks in the season. They have doubled the league average with 24 sacks, and they only allow 4.3 yards of play, which is the same number that the 2003 Ravens allowed. It's not about Manning anymore. It's about this defense. That leads me to staff one. <laughs> That one, the Denver Broncos defense thus far this year have sacked or intercepted its opponents 14.5% of their opponents' dropbacks. This would be the highest sack or INT percentage in NFL history. These are game-altering plays. This defense is special. They have too many playmakers for it just to fall apart because you want to talk about Manning and his effectiveness.
1: How do you not talk about Manning and his effectiveness and you just brought up Trent Dilfer? If we just look at the last fifteen Super Bowl winners in the over the last years. Let's talk about it. We have New England, we have Seattle, we have the Giants, we have Green Bay, we have the Saints, we have the Steelers, we have the Colts, and then we have Tampa Bay, and we have the Ravens again. If we if we go through all of those teams, all of those teams have star stud quarterbacks, except for the Trent Dilfer team, and then also I believe it was the uh, who won the, Trent Dilfer, and then I think it was Brad Johnson. I believe is the other one that we're referring to. Those are the only two game managers in that situation. We're talking about the names of Roethlisberger, Brady, Manning, Aaron Rodgers. Um, what's my man name in New Orleans? Uh, Drew Brees. Drew Brees. We're talking about studs that have got us here. So how can you not bring up Peyton Manning if he goes down? Pretty much, their window closes. If we just look at the last fifteen years, we've only had technically
0: two game managers that have brought home rings. And I'll agree with you that the game manager winning the Super Bowl is the exception, not the rule. My argument is that this defense is good enough to carry anybody at quarterback, much less Peyton Manning, who I'm not ready to say is Trent Dilfer or Brad Johnson.
1: But I think if they went and got a replacement, they would be going to get a Trent Dilfer or Brad Johnson. They wouldn't be able to replace Peyton Manning with someone that would be a, a star-level quarterback. They would have to draft someone and patiently wait for them to evolve. And who has time for that anymore, the way these players are getting paid?
0: Yeah, it's hard to speculate who would be the next quarterback. Uh To be honest, I, I guess maybe Brock Osweiler is the backup of Denver. And I'm not ready to say I can believe in him or not. But it's not like the Broncos are without superior offensive talent at wide receiver. Demarius Thomas can make any quarterback look better than average. And Emmanuel Sanders is one of the better deep threats in the game. And also, this phrase noodle arm for Peyton Manning has, it's the cliche of 2015 that's really getting under my skin. Although he hasn't really proved that he can still throw the deep ball or uh, the out routes where you need the arm strength, I'm not sure I've seen enough from. For me to be able to say that he has no arm and no longer can complete those throws. I think he can complete
1: the throws, and that's just because of his skill level for far as accuracy. His balls have very little velocity at this time, and that's why he's starting to throw those interceptions that he's been throwing as of recently.
0: Yet, last year, Peyton Manning had one of the best years statistically that any quarterback has ever had, and he hasn't lost that much arm strength over a year, and not to mention... Peyton Manning over the last, I guess ever since his neck surgery, he really hasn't had the prettiest ball in the the air anyway. It's not like he's Tom Brady with these tight, low spirals. A lot of times his long balls look like ducks floating through the air, but he's so perfectly accurate, he doesn't need the same arm strength and speed of the ball to drop it in there.
1: I understand that, but Peyton Manning knows, and so does the rest of the NFL, that he is basically one hit away. And I know everyone is one hit away, but if you watch Peyton Manning play, If it is an all-out blitz and he doesn't see anything, he's going down because he knows that his body cannot withstand any of those blows. So, I really think that he knows it's almost over. But Old Peyton Manning, he was a warrior. He wanted to extend those plays. Not anymore. He's staying in that pocket. He's not taking any risk. And he's basically going into the victory formation when... The pocket gets
0: hot. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he probably does have the most sacks by never getting hit in the league. I don't know if that's an f- official statistic, but he would definitely lead, lead that category. Yeah, and I guess we just disagree on this issue. I really do believe that the Denver Broncos defense is one of the most elite defenses in the NFL. It's star-studded. They have all the talent they need to be successful regardless of who's that quarterback. They have the star wide receivers. They just have too many key pieces just to fall apart if... Peyton Manning doesn't return to next year. And even then, I'm not convinced that he doesn't have another year or even two in him. We'll agree to disagree on this topic, but let's go into the next team. So let's talk about the team that did beat the Denver Broncos in the Super Bowl. Let's talk the Seattle Seahawks. Do you believe that their window is getting smaller or closing?
1: I also believe that their window is getting smaller and closing. I've just looked at a few things that have bothered me. I think the biggest thing with the Seahawks is Two years ago, I was praising the Seahawks. They did a wonderful job drafting young talent, getting young, productive talents on the field, and it worked. They had a player's coach with Pete Carroll coming from college, and he basically motivated these young guys to get to the next level. Well, you know what happens when you're a young talent in the NFL? You want to get paid. We just saw at the beginning of this year, uh, Bam Bam Cam Chancellor, he sat out two games. He just got a brand-new contract. But he feels like he is one of the top safeties in the league, which I do agree with him. So now he wants more money. Russell Wilson, the same situation. He wants more money. They just had to give Marshawn Lynch. They had to restructure his contract and give him more money. They paid Thomas. They also paid Richard Sherman. Every year they're losing a member of the Legion of Boom to another team. First it was Browner. Then they also lost uh, Maxwell. Of course, they replaced these players but even still they're picking away from these people. They're picking away from talent from this young team and their defense. I, they'll probably end up losing Bruce Irvin soon. Um, Wagner also is another star player on their team that is very productive. That teams are going to go after because they're young talent. They've been healthy for majority of their career and teams are going to start going after them. And I don't think Seattle is going to be able to continue to hold on to that. Also, with them having to pay people, they haven't been able to invest into star players, Uh, far as skilled players to help out Russell Wilson, and it's showing this year with their offense. Yes, they did make the trade for Jimmy Graham, but that's because the Saints, I think they're honestly about to go into a rebuilding mode, so they were looking to get rid of someone of that caliber uh, that held that type of weight to the salary cap. But right now, I think they're really having issues with finding that offensive threat. And I know people say defense win championships, but you have to be able to score and they don't have the skilled players, nor can they really afford the skilled players to do so. And I think that that defense is not what people
0: have made it up to be anymore. The Seahawks have a cap uh, space issue. I think anybody that keeps up with that can say that pretty confidently. They actually have the least amount of cap space in the league this year. They did have to give Wilson a contract, which going into this season, I did not believe he was worth it, but seeing what, wilson has done without any real skill players besides jimmy graham i i believe he's he he is worth that contract but the seahawks don't score if anybody else is at quarterback his ability to avoid the sack is just absolutely phenomenal so they had to pay him and your points are are very valid you just there's just not enough money how the seahawks came to be was exactly what you said. They had young talent that they drafted and had rookie contracts and they're losing these players much faster than they're replacing them. And they have all these big contracts. Now that are really going to limit their ability to attract new talent. You also said that defense wins championships, which I absolutely agree with, but I'm not sure that this defense is anywhere near as dominant as it has been in years past. Uh, Just looking at some key statistics, uh, turnovers, for example. They've only forced .5 interceptions this year. That's 29th in the league, and that's half as many as they did the year before. They've only forced 1.3 fumbles this year, also lower than last year. Uh, Another big uh, component of how successful your defense is, the red zone touchdown percentage allowed. This year, the Seahawks are allowing... 60% 60% of their opponents' red zones visits to be touchdowns. That's 22nd in the, in the NFL. These statistics that I'm saying, they're just not indicative of a dominant defense. So I, I don't even believe that the, the players that they do have, that they are a dominant defense.
1: Two weeks ago, I realized that the Seattle defense was no longer the dominant defense that it used to be. Everybody knows Richard Sherman lines up on one side of the field plays one side of the field, and covers whoever's there. Two weeks ago, Richard Sherman started to follow Calvin Johnson all around the field. Now, don't get me wrong. I think for you to be the best cornerback, you should check the best wide receiver on the other side. But when a team starts to make adjustments like that, adjustments that have gotten to the Super Bowl back-to-back years, and now they're basically trying to do whatever they can to get stops, they are now moving Richard Sherman out of his comfort zone and putting him on the best wide receiver as far as to stop players, that's when I started to notice that this defense just isn't what it used to be.
0: Yeah, and that could be uh, a consequence of what you were saying earlier with losing a member of the Legion of Boom, their second corner basically, each of the last two years. But it's more than just the defense. Obviously, this team starts and ends with the defense, but you still have to put up points. Another thing that you said earlier, if it wasn't for Russell Wilson – I'm not sure how many points they would have this year. They're still not putting up great stats. Uh, The third down conversion ratio is just 37%. That's 20th in the NFL. Last year, they converted 52% of the third down conversions. They got Jimmy Graham, who was supposed to fix their red zone touchdown percentage, and it's still just 29%, which is last in the NFL. Russell Wilson is still sacked a lot. The loss of Unger has been huge. This team's offense still, though, revolves around Marshawn Lynch, and we're talking about windows closing, and I don't know how you can rely on Marshawn Lynch for much longer. He's a 29-year-old physical runner. He has more than 2,000 carries in his career. To say the tread is wearing thin would be a bit cliche, but exactly what it is. Uh, I don't think the Seahawks can be successful without him. Lynch isn't the type of isn't a home run type of hitter either he's the kind that physically wears down opponents. He needs the ball more for you to win, and his career splits actually show that in lynch's fifty seven career losses he has carried the ball eight hundred and eighteen times in his sixty seven career wins he has carried the ball twelve hundred and seventy times. The more you give it to him, the more likely you are to win as he ages as he loses some of this power. As this tread on the tires gets less and less, can you still hand the ball off to him 20 times a game like he does in his victories? I don't believe so.
1: I think Lynch
0: is really on
1: the edge of his career. I think he's definitely, his best years are behind him, which he's had a great career. But the type of runner that Marshawn Lynch is, his career is definitely on the edge. He is a physical runner. He finishes all his runs. Unlike Sean Alexander in the past, he doesn't step out of bounds. Uh, When he gets to the sidelines, he's lowering his shoulder to gain that extra yard. And I really think that it's about to be over for him. And they haven't invested in a second back that would be able to split the workload. Even with him coming back healthy this week, they definitely put a lot of demand on him to carry the ball.
0: Yeah, and you said that he can't keep this up. I think he's already defied expectations or any... Even your wildest dreams of how much you could possibly get out of him the way he runs. Like you said, he takes every hit that he can. He 2,000 carries in his career is significant. Uh, so it sounds like we agree that Seattle's window is closing and they may have already seen their last Super Bowl. Now we are getting a little bit long, so I don't want this podcast to run over like we did last week. So for this the third team, we're going to be pretty quick about it. Uh, what's your opinion on the Arizona Cardinals? I like the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, by,
1: their defense is what draws my attention. Also, they're one team that has been committed to running the football. But I also think if you look at it, they're basically riding the wave of Carson Palmer. And I would have thought that his career was was good and then it was over and now it's back good again. But he's constantly having major injuries far as injuries to his knees. And I really think that his day is numbered also. I'm pretty sure that he can't take another knee surgery also in the NFL. So I also think that their window is closing. I do think they're a solid team. They, do ha- they did have some young talent, but their young talent is not young anymore. And that defense is starting to lose individuals as well.
0: I brought them up because of when I was digging into cap space numbers, uh, the Seahawks were last in available cap space. But the Cardinals were 31st. And what's more concerning about that is the number of players that are not going to be under contract in just a couple of years. Which brings me into stat two. Stat two. The Arizona Cardinals will only have three of their 11 starters on defense signed through longer than 2018. And only five of 11 offensive starters on offense. Four of their five offensive linemen contracts run out by 2017 eight of their uh, 11 defensive starters contracts run out by 2018 it's just a team that has a whole lot of contracts expiring and just no money to sign these individuals and there's some big names on these lists there's Andre Ellington whose contract expires in 2017 there's the Honey Badger Matthews who expires in 2017 the Chris Johnson who they found uh, a diamond in the rough with them this year, but his, he only signed a one year deal. There's just a whole lot of players that they need to sign and they don't have any money. You may not think of the Arizona Cardinals as having a lot of success in the past, but they're actually 25 and 13 since 2013. That's actually the same record as the Andrew Luck and the Colts over the same period of time. They've, they played extremely well. They've defied expectations going 26 and 13 against the spread over the same time. But, their opportunity to get to a Super Bowl win it is getting, the, the window for them is getting really small, simply because of money and the players that they have signed. Yes, I really
1: just don't know how long the Arizona Cardinals will be able to be a top contender team. Yes, their division is kind of weak, especially with us just talking about the downfall of Seattle. And also San Fran is also taking a step back also. So I'm not really sure where the Arizona Cardinals are heading, but I do know that it doesn't look like it's greener pastures in the future.
0: Yeah, they. I just don't believe they can continue the success rate that they have had, even though it's gone unnoticed by the general public uh, how good they have really been. They have been pretty dominant by NFL standards, and that time is probably going to an end. Speaking of being dominant, uh, if you followed my fantasy football lineup last, uh, last week and played in the Millionaire ma- Maker, you would have cashed some money. Uh, It actually brought me to two and two against you, Chase. So let's go ahead and talk some fantasy football. Fantasy football talk.
1: Hopefully I can break this tie this week with my team. Uh, But this week, let's go ahead and start at the quarterback position. I just shouted him out for being the MVP, but I'm going to go
0: ahead and go with Cam Newton. I like that pick, but I went with Drew Brees staying in the NFC South. Uh, I just think he has a shootout with Indianapolis Colts. Uh, For running back, I went with Joseph Randall, and I went with Todd Gurley, and I just want to take a second to talk about Todd Gurley. Stat three. The Browns have allowed a 90-plus yard rusher in five of its six games, including three backs they have faced this year have posted their yearly high facing the Browns. That is pretty uh, revealing statistics about the Browns' ability to stop the run. They are dead last in the NFL. Murray rushed for 139, the best of 2015 for him. McCluster ran for 98, the best for him. And Hillman just ran for 111. Uh, I really believe it has a lot to do with uh, the Browns' coach's uh, run defense, Mike Patine. Since he's been with the Browns, he has never allowed them to not be the worst Rushing defense in the NFL. It's true this year. It was true last year when he was with in Buffalo in uh, 2013. They were 28th. When he was with the Jets in 2012, they were 26th in run defense. For me, Todd Gurley is an absolute must-start in fantasy. He's only five thousand dollars, which is pretty bottom-line price when it comes to starting running backs. Start him in your league this week. Who do you have at running back?
1: At my running backs, I have Devontae Freeman. I have to continue to ride the wave of Freeman. He's just a monster. Um, He has the most NFL uh, rushing touchdowns this season, and there's no way that I can pass him up. He's pretty much been a short thing for the last three weeks. Also, I went Doug Martin. When we go to our wide receivers, I took a couple of risks, but I also went for home run hitters, uh, not possession wide receivers, but people that have catched the long ball. I took Travis Benjamin. I took Martavius Bryant, he came on big last week for Seattle. I mean, sorry, for the Steelers. No offense to any Steelers fans, I know how you guys get. And then also, to I took T.Y. Hilton also.
0: Okay. Uh, I took. I went a little bit of a different route. I tried to spend some money on these guys. I went with Odell Beckham, uh, $8,700. I went with Amari Cooper and Brandon Cooks for my wide receivers. At tight end, I took Antonio Gates, and I will probably play him every week until Rivers doesn't target him 15 times a game.
1: At tight end, I went with Greg Olsen. Cam Newton found him all day on Sunday last week, so I'm going to stick with Olsen. Cam is comfortable with him, and he has lost a lot of receivers, so this is one of the wide receivers that he trusts well, tight ends that he trusts At flex, I went with Garrett Blunt. It looks like the Patriots have changed pace after coming out of the bye week. They were using Deion Lewis, which is more of a scat back. But but last week, they used the power back of Garrett Blunt. So I think I'm going to go ahead and use him. He helps control the game. And also for my defense, I selected the Steelers. I made up for messing up the name earlier with the Steelers fans, but I selected the Steelers defense. They're playing Kansas City. We already talked about Alex Smith on our show. Obviously, these backup running backs are horrible now that they have lost Charles for the season.
0: I think if LeGarrette Blunt has a big game, that would definitely give you some separation, which in these Mega Millions uh, 400,000 entry contests, you definitely need these sleepers to, to create separation. I'm not ready to believe that he's a better back than Deion Lewis, but I hope you are right this week for your sake. And my flex, I went with Jonathan Stewart, who's only $4,000, yet he is the featured back on a heavy rushing team and for my defense i went with the rams who are hosting the browns at home uh, so that is our fantasy lineups for this week we are two and two heads up uh, you would have cashed with my lineup this week and we hope that both of us brought you a cashing lineup for week seven we would love to hear your thoughts of everything we've said this broadcast including our fantasy teams you're welcome to engage us on twitter at four stats podcast you're welcome to ask your fantasy questions or just general feedback. Every week we want to give you a against the spread winner. Last week we went to three and one against the spread this year with a victory with the Texans over the Jaguars. Now I'm not just saying this to boast about hitting 75% of the NFL. I just can't get away from the stat that I gave you last week. It's the same stat this week. It's ridiculous that the world hasn't caught on to this trend. If you play in London the game before or after, you're going to lose, and you lose badly. The Bills and Jags play in London Sunday. Last Sunday, a week before they both went off to London, they both lost and badly. Next week, the Detroit Lions and Kansas City Chiefs face off in London. This week, they both play. Since the international series in London started in 2007, there have been 14 games to take place across the pond. Now, since these teams have to travel, they get a bye week either before or after. Traditionally, it was before this trip. This year, they switched to after. So both the Lions and Chiefs play this week. Stat 4. Teams that go to London that play either the week prior or the week after are just 7 and 19 straight up. When the team that goes to London loses, it's a margin of 17 points a game. I'm going to put this in perspective again for you. And those 19 losses by those teams that are about to go to London, they're outscored 312 points to 579 points. That's why this week's against the spread pick is the Minnesota Vikings over the Detroit Lions. I expect another blowout by a team looking ahead to London. That trend is 4-0 this year against the spread. I don't care if it sounds like I'm repeating myself. You have to take advantage of the situation until the odds makers adjust. There's also other matchups to love about this game. They've already faced each other once this season, and that was a 10-point Vikings victory. Highlighted by Adrian Peterson who went for a buck thirty-four and just twenty nine carries. Quick math tells me that's four point six yards a carry. There's a lot of questions about the health of the Lions run stopper, Nada, who tries to work his way back from injury. The Lions best linebacker, Levy, is still out. There's no reason that AP can't do it again. The Vikings bring the second best scoring defense into this game, allowing just sixteen point six points a game. They do this by controlling time and position. They do this by keeping offenses in front of them. Everything completed against them is underneath. Minnesota's yards per completion is just 5.2 yards, one of the best in the NFL. They've allowed us the fewest pass plays of 20-plus yards of any team in the league, and that's exactly what the Lions rely on. They have 23 passing plays of 20 yards or more, 7th most in the NFL. You take away their ability for big plays, and they should have trouble scoring. Factoring in the look ahead to the overseas travel, and that's why Minnesota is our play for Week 7. Are you playing the Minnesota Vikings this week?
1: I guess I will. I've actually thought that the Minnesota Vikings would actually be having a better season than what they're having now. And division games are always tough ones. And I really can't trust the Lions. They've basically won on a technicality last week. Other than that, they would be 0-6. So I think I will also go with Minnesota. And Adrian Peterson still owes me a
0: breakout game. Sounds like he's on your fantasy roster. He owes me from last year on my fantasy roster. (laughs)
1: now that we've given you the pick for the week let's go ahead and get into our final period it looks like Michael Vick has lost his job as the backup quarterback in Pittsburgh Larry Jones came in and played and he played well he was, it was a convincing win and he had several big plays down the field to Martavius Bryant which was also his first game so it basically looked like two newcomers on the field got the job done Michael Vick I think you might want to call Jerry Jones they have an opening there
0: Dallas would love to have them. <laughs> we are still looking for sponsors. If you want to advertise or even be a guest on the program, email us at 4 stats at gmail. It's always the number four, never the preposition. Please follow us on Twitter at 4statspodcast or look us up on Facebook by searching 4 Stats Podcasts. We will return next week with another winning ticket for you degenerates. Until then, good night. Good night, everybody.